Hello, and welcome to the final episode of Stuff We Say Flashback. I'm Jamie, and yes, G comes back as we talk about one of my favorite weird consoles, the Nokia N-Gage. Uh, at this point, I had recently picked up a unit that I didn't realize at the time was actually a prototype system. It's kind of a weird story behind that. I, uh, yeah, I got a Commodore VIC-20 in this system for 60 bucks to total from a local game store, and uh, I don't regret it. But yeah, sit down, uh, kick back, and relax as G from G the Next Level, my good buddy and I, discuss the Nokia Engage, how Nokia changed mobile gaming. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Stuff We Say podcast. As always, my name is James and I'm your host, and joining us once again is... G from G to the Next Level. Hey there, how y'all doing today? How are you doing, man? It's great to have you back on here. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, man. I'm doing excellent. It's, it's nice and chilly down here in Houston for once. So, But you know what? I'm ready to kick this podcast up. Today, we're talking about one of the absolute weirdest gaming platforms to ever be released, the Nokia N-Gage. This thing was incredibly forward-thinking. If you enjoy playing games on your phone that are more, I guess, complex than the likes of Snake, then you can thank this thing. It was incredible. It could play games off cartridges. It was on par, what would you, would you say, with the PlayStation 1 in terms of power? I'd say really between the PlayStation 1 and like the Game Boy Advance. It seemed to be like kind of that nice little meaty middle between those two. And I think that's really where Nokia was trying to, to combat against. Because I think that's what their competition was at the time when it came out was the Game Boy Advance, right? Absolutely. And, you know, it was incredibly innovative and had some great ideas. And that didn't stop it from being just dreadful to actually game on but mm. we'll get to that in a bit <laughs> so first off uh let, let's talk about how we first learned about the n-gage what would you like to go first sure i'll go first so when i learned about the n-gage at the time i was working for funko land which is now known as gamestop so we were talking about like different gaming consoles that were actually coming in and my boss at the time got a press kit for the nokia n-gage and she's like what is this so it was because you know at that time it's like we didn't really have full-scale games on phones i mean there weren't really such things as smartphones yet and so this you know, was 2003 thought, i should mention right 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 so it's like that wasn't really quite there yet so my thing was just that i was always kind of intrigued because you know i just got my first kind of smart no not smartphone but my first phone like at the time and it's just like well i can play games on my phone and I can actually talk on the phone too. But I was like, but nah, you know what? I don't need it. I got a Game Boy. It's too expensive. I don't really want it. So how I got mine was actually really awesome because I was a big fan of Adult Swim. So I was watching, you know, the shows on Adult Swim and whatnot. Adultswim.com actually had a giveaway for a free N-Gage and like a prize party pack. And I won. So I won like a free N-Gage because of that. And um, that's about as much as I would have liked to have spent on that system. <laughs> You, you spent nothing and, you know, you, you had no expectations and were they met? I would have to say with no expectations, it flew with flying colors. I'd say so. With no expectations. <laughs> That's the, the best I could say about it, really. Now, I mean, and I, and I know I'm like selling it short a little bit. There are some, which I know we're probably going to talk about. Mm -hmm. There are some actually quite good games for the Nokia N-Gage that often get overlooked. Oh, absolutely. And it, it's interesting because it library-wise, it really did fit into that, you know, kind of sweet spot between the Game Boy Advance and the PlayStation 1, though I think I say that in part because a lot of the games that it got were just ports from those platforms. Right, right. They're either ports of that or there are ports of other uh, mobile-style games, too. Yeah. But there were some original ones, too. 
and I, I guess it's funny because, you know, the N-Gage is a system I've always heard about, and I was weirdly intrigued because I was like, oh, you know, before I could play Sonic CD on my, my uh, Samsung Galaxy, I guess I could have played Sonic N for the N-Gage, which was just a, a worse version of Sonic Advance, but... Yep. It's weird because I was not expecting to get mine when I got mine. A local game store got an old Commodore VIC-20 computer, and it was, which is awesome. It's old, it's from the 80s, it's retro tech, it's everything that I love, and that makes people question my sanity. <laughs> but uh, when I went in, I wa- was looking, I was like, well, I don't know. It's like, also, I see you got this N-Gage in here, and that's cool, and that's something that maybe at some point I'll cover on YouTube or, I guess, in a podcast. But I don't know if, if I want it. And I'm not going to give the exact price, but I ended up walking out of there with the VIC-20 and all the stuff they had for that and the N-Gage and all the games they had for it. Excellent. It, it was something I was really intrigued by. And I say intrigued, but that's probably not the right term. I think morbidly curious describes it better. That sounds very <laughs> accurate. <laughs> So, uh, going over the history of this, this was announced by Nokia in 2002. They were known for their phones. The Nokia 3310, which was an absolute brick of an old cell phone, has become a meme. But this thing was announced in 2002. Why? Because they they weren't happy just being a major player in the cell phone market. They wanted to take on Nintendo and the Game Boy Advance. So this thing was launched in 2003, two years after the Game Boy Advance, and was followed with an updated version the following year called the Nokia Engage QD. And what's nice about having you on here, dude, is um, I have the original Engage, but you actually have the QD, and they're there's it's a different experience really between the two absolutely well because a lot of it is architecturally done because the way that the original uh, n-gauge is designed has two main flaws about it and the first one is that if you want to change cartridges you have to completely remove the battery the cartridge slot is underneath it and then the second one is that because of the way that the microphone is positioned and designed that's why they call it the taco because you have to talk to it from the side and it's it's really really strange but the qd to me it's like the qd it's a little bit smaller. It's a little bit thicker than the original N-Gage install. It's got like a strange sort of rubber band around the outside, or a little rubber grip that has a hook. And uh, you could easily hot swap cartridges. And to me, it was just it was a lot more comfortable. The D-pad also felt a little bit better. And um, I don't think it had any enhancements in the screen or anything like that. But to me, it, it just felt a little bit better. So I was like, hey, that's awesome. That's the one that I want. So I was like, I'm, I'm cool with that. But I guess wise um, how the game plays, they, they, the game still pretty much play the same. Yeah. And the, the oddest thing about the N-Gage, I say this actually holding my engage in my hands right now is if we aren't talking about the buttons or anything the original taco style engage is actually remarkably comfortable to hold in the hands yeah you know it has that that curve on the bottom makes it kind of conform well and the only thing that's weird is with how your fingers rest on the top it, it kind of almost feels like that they were planning to put l or r buttons on it like on the game boy which they didn't yeah maybe maybe so yeah but do you think with a nine key with a with a nine key or a ten key? I guess with like a ten key keypad next to it, then I don't know if maybe they felt like, oh, I guess we don't have to do that. We've got the buttons there, but uh. I, I feel like that's the biggest downfall of it, though. The one thing that I, that I will I think about that's rather controversial is I think I, I've never used a QD, but I think the original Engage actually has a pretty decent D pad. It's definitely not as good as the Game Boy Advance or even the PSP, which came out a few years later. It's rather small, but it's not a bad D-pad. It feels good. Also, it has, like, whenever you press a direction, it gives you this very 
almost audible click. Yes. And it's a click that you definitely, and it reminds me almost like playing on one of the old Neo Geo pocket handhelds. I was just about to say that. Yeah. You know, it feels remarkably good because despite the weird shape, you get that really good feedback. And it's a shame that the actual buttons aren't the same. Instead of giving it a traditional A and B button, what they did is you have a traditional cell phone style p- keypad, which I guess actually technically a 12 key right. numpad, since you know you also have uh, asterisks and uh, pound side. I almost called it a hashtag. But- Me too. <laughs> <laughs> what an age we live in, right? I know, right? Like, And with that, any boomers that are listening have turned off the podcast. But-, <laughs> <laughs> but instead of giving it a proper A and B button, they just made the five and seven keys act as A and B buttons, and they feel exactly the same as all the other neighboring uh, buttons. Right. And I find find that along with just not feeling good, you know, like it reminds me of uh, back when Hurricane Ike hit Texas. One of my memories was uh, playing Tetris on an old uh, flip phone that I had at the time, and it kind of reminds me of that. You know, the buttons they don't feel like game console buttons; they feel like old cell phone buttons and because it's these two specific buttons that you have to hit but because they're still you know they aren't raised up or lowered compared to the other ones i find myself constantly hitting other buttons on the numpad whenever i try to play something yep me too is that is that still an issue on the qd oh totally because I, from what i gathered on the original in the qd i don't really see any sort of main difference in how the buttons feel Because I feel your pain there, because I did the exact same thing, especially because since it's the five number and the seven number, so they're angled upwise, but they're not like the same angle as, say, like a Genesis button pad or Game Gear pad or the the Dogbone NES controller. So they're almost they're almost at a um, what can I say? I guess uh, at a strange angle to where, yeah, it's easy to to make that mistake, especially if you're used to playing on the Game Boy. You probably think four and five are your buttons, but no, they're not. You know, it's a shame, too, because there's a lot of good ideas here. Like, the OS on the phone is super easy to navigate, you know? It's oh, yeah, yeah. Very, very much OS. so. Yeah, yeah, I mean, which, I mean, it's very much so just an OS that you'd find on any old Nokia phone from the time. But, you know, it, it works. You know, the only thing I think any different is that, you know, it has a launch game option that, you know, the games are cool because it came on essentially SD cards yep. that were. But, I don't know. Well, first off, I think there's something to be said for the build quality because we, we both have issues with both of our end gauges where unless you really force a cartridge into it and sometimes like, you know, even after like cleaning uh, the cartridge slot with like isopropyl alcohol and whatnot, it feels like it can only get a game working on it one in every 10 times. And that's not, should, should I tell the story of why I, I got mine for so cheap as well? Like along with getting it with the, the VIC-20? I don't see why not. The Nokia N-Gage will not even turn on unless you have a SIM card in it. It will just boot up to a blank screen and then turn off. So the store, you know, they couldn't even get away. They couldn't even test it. And, you know, of course, I'm not going to throw a SIM card into an old phone. So what I found out is there's a a supplier in Texas who had a, a whole bunch of dummy SIM cards. Because apparently when Nokia released a QD, just so you could actually turn it on without a phone plan... They would include a fake SIM card uh, with them just so you could, you know, trick the system into booting up. Yep. And I somehow got one of those along with a dubiously legal CD containing all of the games from, from this provider, which, okay. But <laughs> I, I wasn't expecting it, but okay. You know? <laughs> so the story, you know, was like, we, we can't test this. And, you know, we don't want to go out and buy a phone plan just to test the system we had 
brought in. And it's just, it's weird because, you know, once you have it in, it works fine. You know, it works decently enough for an old, over 15-year-old cell phone, but it's it's odd. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I can tell you one other thing with the QD. One of the issue I had with it is that well, what's what's even cooler about the one that I got from AdultSwim.com is that it, it actually came unlocked. Oh, that's nice. So it's just like a basically, I mean, you still have to put a SIM card in there, but it could be just like a deactivated SIM from AT&T and T-Mobile, which I have plenty of, and then just pop it in there and then it works fine. But the other issue that I have with the QD is that remember that that plastic rubber ring that I'll talk about? Yes. Over time, it would wilt away. And I mean, like, by over time, I mean, not very long. <laughs> so I'd have to replace that rubber ring. And guess what's on the rubber ring? The power button. Oh, no. So basically, I'd have to pop it out and then just kind of jam my thumb to turn the thing on and off unless if I just remove the battery. So that, that's kind of a bummer. But I know one thing I love about the N-Gage, too, is that it was basically it basically was my first MP3 player. Because yeah, because MP3 player MP3s. Like, great. Was, was it your daily driver phone? I'd say so. Well, driver slash bus riding because I didn't always have. A car. Yeah. I had to share a car, so I didn't always have my car. But yeah, it was a really good MP3 player as a multimedia device because it had that. It had Bluetooth capability, which was also something that was kind of ahead of its time. The system itself, as a phone, I will stand to the end of the earth that as a phone that came out in 2002, 2003. Aside from having a talk on the original model, weird, it was way ahead of its time. It was an excellent phone. I will give it that fantastic phone. I loved mine. As a game system, it was kind of hit or miss. But as a phone, it was excellent. And you know, you know, it was incredibly forward-thinking. You know, just looking at it now, because this is something that I don't really remember seeing until uh, probably well after the, the PS3 came out. Was it actually has a mini USB connection on it, so you can hook it up to a PC? Or, with, I said so. You know, specs-wise, oddly and impressive. But you know, you've said it was an excellent phone. And how, how long did you use your your QD for? I used mine for what about three or four years like actually as a phone i think i use it yeah i use it for about that long yeah and and i had a great time with it the only reason why i upgraded was because i got a smartphone <laughs> and it's odd because it has a lot of features nowadays that make it seem like a proto smartphone you know oh, yeah it's a shame because had they well hey had, had they gone for for a widescreen stuff like a cell phone style vertical screen right but also you know had they you know maybe released the qd not even the original just released a qd a few years later after the iphone came out i think they could have actually done something really cool with this i agree i think so i think that if maybe if the qd had or in the engage had done well enough that nokia would have stuck around to me either the next model that would have come out or maybe the generation after that, I think it probably would have been a really good killer alternative because even it's tough to go up against Android and iOS now. It's really tough to go up against that. And even um, Sony tried with PlayStation Portable, which I thought was pretty impressive. But think about it. If you really, really think about it, where would mobile gaming be without the N-Gage? And the N-Gage was really the first step out. And it's kind of crazy to think about because it's playing games, I think... Some of which I think would still look pretty decent on modern phones, if not for the aspect ratio. Like, you know, playing, what was it, Rayman 3D was on there? Yeah. Yeah, Rayman yeah. 3. Uh, Sega Rally looks great. It's a shame that one's so rare that's a $1,000 game nowadays. But apparently, looking at my cheat sheet, they did actually announce a console called the Engage 2.0 that was supposed to come out in 2007. But then because uh, this one, had, it, it sold fairly poorly. It sold, they sold 3 million N-Gages within the first three three years or so, apparently. Okay. But because it did not meet their targets, they just kind of 
Axe 2.0, which is a shame because I think they really could have given the iPhone a run for their money had they actually continued to improve on the design. I think so. I think so. But you know what they say when when you're first in technology, it's always kind of tough because once your competitors get out there and do what you could do better, it's always kind of tough to play catch up on that. I mean, heck, Sega probably is the biggest shining example of that. Oh, absolutely. Like uh, Fantasy Star Online on the Dreamcast. And the Dreamcast had it had a built in modem on it, didn't it? Yes, it had a built in dial up and they were the first or I believe they were the first console to come through with a broadband adapter that you can actually play with a broadband connection because then the P- yeah, I believe believe so because the ps2 was after that yeah and you know within two years they uh, left the console business but that's a story for another time but of course. <laughs> but the the end gauge i feel like you know was though i don't think it hurt uh nokia nearly as badly as the dreamcast hurt sega uh, you know even though it's not great to play games on it's kind of sad to to see how it ultimately turned out which uh should we talk about the actual gameplay experience we've already complained about the buttons on it uh, I think there's I think the screen's worth complaining about as well. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and my my biggest problem with it is that I thought that the screen was it was nice and bright. I mean, the colors are pretty vibrant on it. I mean, looking at it from viewing angles again, I thought it was pretty decent. But the biggest problem is the fact that it's a vertical screen, that it, it's it's not square. It's not rectangle. It's just basically I think it's what a 2.3 inch screen. I believe it's 2.3 inches. But yeah, a vertical 2.3 inch screen. Now, if you think about it, if you're playing something like let, let's let's use Sonic as an example again you're playing sonic and which is a port of sonic advance from game boy advance trying to play a sonic game on a vertical portrait screen there's a reason why when you play the sonic mobile games it forces you to play it in landscape mode because it's really hard to see how can you go fast when you can barely see two feet in front of you and to be fair, they, they, they did try to get around that you know there are two viewing modes for sonic N. right but it squishes the screen though like even more so <laughs> on the end gauge sonic advance instead of running you could either have it run and you could see the full field of view like you could in sonic advance but it'd be squished down and you'd have borders right or you could have it take up the entire screen but you'd only be able to see two feet in front of sonic and to, to quote the blue hedgehog himself that's no good nah <laughs> <laughs> not at all it's a shame too because if you look at that now i know you mentioned rayman earlier because like rayman is an example because i mean it was a side scroller but i guess because of the pacing of rayman and like and how it's done it felt okay even though it was done vertically right and there's ways they could have done sonic like what what's odd is that even though i feel like 3d games can be problematic like a, the call of duty game on engage just awful absolutely uh it's a shame because you know this from that earlier of call of duty where it was actually before it just became something where oh you know it's every year it's the same old thing you know back then you know it was actually a really great you know little series of military first person shooters back then yeah and i think i forget if it's the first or second game that's on the end gauge but i've tried playing and it's just awful not not because of viewing angles or anything but because the frame rate is just it, it, it craps itself <laughs> it, it is the first one you're right and and that's that's a good point to bring out is that most of the games that try to do like a first person's perspective or try to be like overly ambitious with polygonal graphics they tend to chug like really really badly another one uh, splinter cell splinter cell chaos theory that's a perfect example i have it i actually got this one way back in the day because i was a big fan of splinter cell like back in the xbox days and but maybe it runs at like 10 frames per second if even that, like sometimes it just chugs so badly to where it's completely unplayable. But then there are some that are fully poly- uh, 
polygonal, excuse me. Like there's some that are fully polygonal, like the SSX game for it, which the SSX game was great. I thought it played very well. And the, I'd go as far to argue that the, the vertical screen isn't as bad for 3D games as it is for 2D games. I agree. And I think part of that might be because of how the camera works. You know, in a 2D game, you usually just have that fixed camera angle. In a 3D game, it doesn't affect things as much because you can usually turn the camera somehow. Right. Of course, on the end gauge where you're having to, you know, finagle with cell phone style number key buttons, you know, that can be easier said than done. But it's at least something where an attempt can be made with. Right. Oh, no, I agree. That, that's like this, there's one game on the end gauge. And this is actually, in my opinion, is one of the best games on the system. Uh, it's a racing game called Glimmerati. And have you ever heard of that one? No, I, I've never heard of it. It's great. It's basically like, um, I, I could say it's something more like a Need for Speed style game, but it's not, it's 3D, but it's top-down 3D. And something like, um, what is, like what a Micro Machines? Yeah, sort of like a Micro Machines style game. And it runs really smoothly. Like you're talking about because the game is fixed for the, 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 uh, the phone's vertical screen, it feels right. You know, and it's a game. I'm just like, this game is still very impressive. Even today, like if if Bugbear were to make port for this for like a modern console, I'd, I'd play it. Do you think then that a lot of the, the Engage's problems came from uh, most of its library being ports from other systems instead of games that were actually built for it? I think that probably is a chunk of its problem. And that really comes to whenever you're making a game system that the majority of your library is that because then at that point, you're, you don't really have much of an identity. But I can't really say that because Nokia did have a handful of their own games. Like they had Pathway to Glory. They had the Glimmerati, like I mentioned, Requiem to Hell. That was, re that was really good. It's like a gauntlet style game. Operation Shadow was a good game. I think there, there are some that actually were pretty good. In fact, even Sega made a couple of original games for it too, like uh, like this one, Pocket Kingdom. Like this one, I remember this one was really fun. Well, you had to play online. It was basically an MMO style game that's supposed to be a prequel or a spiritual. No, I'm sorry. It's basically like kind of a um, a spiritual successor to Dragon Force on the Saturn. Oh, cool. But what's interesting about it is that when you're talking to your enemies, you're facing off. They speak in like early 2000s leet speak. So it's like. Oh, I'm going to wreck you up, you noob. Like, oh, <laughs> Lord. Yeah, oh, get God. wrecked. Like, what, what, it's what? aged poorly in the best possible way. Looking at the back of the box, it's just like the, the, the dialogue says, like, I read about this on the message boards. And somebody says, this, I'm, a butts, I'm about to bust a cap up in this piece. No. <laughs> Bad game. Good game. Oh, God. Legit. The game oh, actually you, is good. You killed me. <laughs> Did you say that one's online only? It was online. Well, no, there is oh. an offline mode too, but it was mainly geared for online. I remember I did play it online. I need it now. It sounds amazing. And the worst possible ways. Well, if you can't find it, bring your N-Gage with you when you come down and you can play it. I have it. Oh, that's amazing. -Gage Arena. Pocket Kingdom. That's what it was. It's called the N-Gage Arena when you play it online. I was trying to remember. Engage Arena. You know, and it's, it's kind of funny as well because, you know, I guess I was right around the time that Xbox Live first became a thing and the original Xbox as well. Like, mm -hmm. thinking back to that era in handhelds, even though this one had its issues, I do think the issues didn't. The, the actual design issues weren't enough to stop it against the Game Boy Advance. Why do I say that? Because the original Game Boy Advance had the worst screen I've ever seen on any handheld ever. And it was on because the original Game Boy didn't have a backlight screen, but that was 1989. You know, so I guess, you know, people excuse it. 
I don't know, just before I was born. Mm-hmm. I think people were a lot more accepting to that because it was black and white, though. Like, once you got in the color, then it's like, okay, maybe you guys might want to put a backlight in this, but I guess Game Boy Color was still okay with it. But with Game Boy Advance, you're absolutely right. Like, I love the Game Boy Advance. It's it's my favorite Nintendo portable system. And I remember slogging through the original Game Boy Advance because I loved it so much. But that screen was just like, no. But then when the SP came out, I was like, bravo. This is what I've been wanting. If you love Nintendo games want to play Game Boy Advance games, just completely count out the original model. Like, it has a great form factor, but the screen is even darker than the original screen. Like, to see the games properly, you literally need to be standing on the surface of the sun. Right. <laughs> which is even weirder since, you know, a few years prior, Nintendo had released the Game Boy Light only in Japan, which uh, had a front light on it. But, you know, getting back on topic, what I'm saying is that the Game Boy Advance... Though I think a better feeling in the hand had its own issues, I don't think it made the engage completely unviable. I think so, but it's always tough to go up against the Nintendo juggernaut when it comes to portables. It's an admirable effort that Nokia did, and, and they really did try it. Because I mean, how long did the system last before it was discontinued? I think it was what maybe like, it before it was lasted actually until. Okay, so I'm seeing conflicting things. Checking my oh. cheat sheet. They officially stopped selling them in 2005, oh. but it doesn't like there is actually any discontinue, uh, like it was actually officially discontinued until 2007 when they also axed uh, the Engage 2.0. Okay, so it only lasted really about three years? Only about three years, technically mm. five. And it, it's a shame too, because they did an admirable effort, you know, three million units you know, isn't a lot compared to, say, like, you know, over 100 million units of, say, PlayStation 2s or Wiis that were eventually shipped. But that's still 3 million of, of these little things, you know? Oh, yeah. Do you think it was something to do with marketing? The fact that it was a video game console you had to buy from a cell phone store? Or the fact that it lacked a killer app like a, a Sonic or a Mario or a Crash Bandicoot? I think it was a little bit of both, to be honest, because it's like, yeah, with any game system, you have to have, I'm not going to say you have to have a mascot, but you do have to have at least some sort of killer app to get people coming. And I think Nokia's biggest thing was the fact that it was early online play. But when you you can tell that you have early online play, but most of the games are only meh to and with a few gems here and there that, yeah, I think that's what did it in. Because if I remember well, I remember seeing a lot of advertising for it. So I don't really think that was a lack of marketing. I think it was and you could kind of tell what audience they were going for. And like they were going mainly for the same audience that Sega was going for. That, that sort of like, you know, late teen, like early 20s kind of vibe. Like, you know, they were they were like the new attitude kid on the block. So I don't really think it was the advertising. I think it, the biggest thing really was, as you said, the um, the fact that you basically had to either get it directly from a mobile carrier and you had to have a plan because this was back in the day when you really couldn't just go buy a phone directly from them or buy it directly from Nokia themselves. And I can't remember exactly how much it was, but I remember it being expensive. And then the, the, the honest thing is you, you said your manager at GameStop at, or, or Funko Land at the time got one of those. Right. So did GameStop carry or there was what our transitioning i even saw this was back when you could still <laughs> find eb games in the states as well even though gamestop had already bought them right did gamestop sell the games for them or were they just kind of like hey this is a new system that's out and you're video game people because i don't remember oh no they totally oh no they totally sold the games for it just not the systems like absolutely they sold the games and they sold the accessories they sold the systems at full price though 
they were one of the few ways you could actually get the system at full price. If you got it from a from like an AT&T store, I think it was T-Mobile, if I'm not mistaken. If you got it from a T-Mobile store, then you had to sign up for a plan. And then it was done in the same vein where it's like a two-year contract. So yeah, uh, not cheap. And it's kind of <laughs> odd, you know, that they'd go that that they'd actually make you, you know, have to have a SIM card for it to boot. And I think that might be why with the QD, they started shipping uh, fake SIM cards with them. Yep. I think it's, it's because it's a phone first and a game system second, which I think that was probably one of the things because it makes you wonder if they marketed it more to be a phone with a cutting edge online game system versus being a cutting edge online game system. Oh, by the way, that's also a phone. Maybe it would have done better because, like I said, as a phone, it's excellent. Or at the time, it's excellent. So it makes me wonder if maybe they had catered more to the phone market with additional games versus catering to the game scene with an additional phone. I, I think that's kind of why I feel the way I do now about it, right? Which is if they'd actually put out that 2.0 and stop trying to compete with Nintendo, they could have potentially crushed Apple, especially since they were still one of the biggest phone manufacturers at the time. Oh, yeah. But then again, this could just be, be me speculating about cool weird things i definitely see that sega parallel as well you know do do you think that if sega hadn't left the console market and if the the dreamcast or even if the game gear had been successful enough to get a successor that nokia wouldn't have seen a need to, to make something like the engage maybe because if you really think about it i mean one of the biggest third-party companies to support the engage was sega so i'm I'm not sure. It also makes you wonder if maybe kind of like how like Nintendo and Sony were working on the PlayStation together. It really makes you wonder if maybe through some sort of parallel time, maybe this could have been a Sega smartphone. It might have been. I feel the N-Gage was very much so ahead of its time. It was. Are there, are there any other standout games? Oh, well, as far as other standout games go, I can say shockingly, another shockingly good one was the Port of Pandemonium. I think that was like one of the first games that a lot of people got for it. Are you familiar with Pandemonium? It was a no, PlayStation 1 and Saturn game. It was also known as Magical Hoppers. I think that was the other name for it. It's a 2.5D like action platformer, kind of like Klonoa. But it was, this was pre-Klonoa. And that got a really good port on there. There's a port of King of Fighters called King of Fighters Extreme that actually wound up being pretty... Yeah, it's decent. It, it feels... You were talking about that D-pad before. Yeah. It's like, that's a perfect example of how that D-pad actually worked really well. Um, there was a Ghost Recon game for it that I thought was all right. I know that um, for those who are into wrestling, which is interesting, WWE Aftershock was actually quite good. No kidding. I was like, that was quite good on it. But I think those were the main extent of the games that, that I've played for Like, said pocket kingdom was a lot of fun crash nitro cart was an interesting one because i i just got that one recently and it's like it's it's interesting yeah apparently tomb raider is on it yeah oh yeah i have the tomb raider game for it that's another one that again ambitious but you know when you have too much ambition like that it's kind of dangerous it's it, it's okay it's okay it's like you tried the one thing i really want to try is uh there was also a version of super monkey ball for it yes i'm looking for that it's a shame because some of the with the exception of Sonic, you know, it seems like uh, most of the Sega stuff's actually kind of hard to find for it. It's starting to be. I have noticed that. I think. Um. I think I have. I think I have all of them. I believe Monkey Ball is the only one that I'm missing. It's like I think I have all of the other Sega games for it. Because Alien Front was canceled, and there was supposed to be a Virtual Cop game for it too, and it also got canceled. And then I guess technically Sega Rally, but pff, yeah, I'm never yeah. gonna get that. <laughs> and of course, you know, for for all of y'all out there who are big fans of the Elder Scrolls and need something to play, but you know, while you wait for Bethesda to release another version of Skyrim. Uh, there was an exclusive Elder Scrolls game made for the N-Gage, Shadow Key. 
that game's pricey now. Gameplay I've seen from it looks cool. I don't know if it actually played well. I don't know either. I never got. But a it's to out try there. It. it exists. Hopefully, this is information that's helped someone and uh, hopefully made their day. Like I, I just love how cool and weird and not even unnecessary. I think this was a crucial first step towards what we now see as fart, uh, fart phones, smartphones. <laughs> <laughs> Although you could argue that some smartphones are indeed fart phones. And they made an admirable attempt, and I think that's what we're getting after. So, any final thoughts before we end off? Yeah, I, I think just really with the engage, it's just it. I can really see it as a little engine that could. And I'm always, I've always been a big fan of of charming stories when it comes to game consoles that don't really get the the love and the respect that they really do deserve, or ones that maybe were just so incredibly ahead of their time, but were just victims of bad circumstances, like in the case of the Dreamcast, or maybe like the Turbo Graphics because you couldn't re- really find it in certain markets. The Engage, I could really throw it into something like that too. It's just that if you give it a chance, there are some really good gems on the system. Now, I understand it's one of those things that most of the games are fairly inexpensive, but they're just kind of tough to find. That's the hard thing. It's like a lot of it, you'll probably have to wind up getting online, but there are some really good gems for it. But yeah, I, I think as far as the mark that it left on the world, unfortunately, isn't touched enough. And just the fact that, yeah, we might not be where we are with gaming and smartphones today. We might not have stuff like, you know, Fortnite on our phones. We might not have Apple Arcade. We may not have all of these different types of mobile gaming if it weren't for something like the Engage. So I, I think it does deserve at least a little bit more of a touch of respect. Absolutely. So the Nokia Engage, not a really good phone, not necessarily a great game console, but regardless of where it stands, it's highly influential. So on that note, I think this is a good place to end off. G, would you like to go ahead and uh, tell everyone where they can find you online? Okay, sure. Well, you can find me at G to the next level. You know, it's like the old Sega phrase, welcome to the next level, but with a G instead of welcome. And uh, you can find me, of course, on YouTube, youtube.com slash G to the next level. I do videos uh, kind of similar to how you do, James. It's like I'll pick stuff that's either retro or modern, as I like to call it, retro gaming in the modern age. And um, I tend to put out videos at least like every two weeks, but you can mainly find me there. If you're into old school retro and Sega, you're that's a good place to start. And I'm also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all under the same name, G to the next level. I, I love talking with new people as far as like retro gaming, modern gaming, and everything in between. Awesome. Seriously, he makes incredible content. Go check him out. And of course, I'm James. You can find me on Stuff We Play, Home of Everything Weird and Retro, on YouTube. And of course, right now, you're listening to Stuff We Say. So with that, thank you all very much for watching. Thank you, G, for joining me today. Everyone stay classy, and I'll see you next time.